Hello and welcome to the very first episode of The Social Heckler. This is a podcast where we will be dealing with philosophy, psychology, psychoanalysis, sociology, etc. in a more informal way and uh, it would be more like a conversation sometimes or just my thoughts and opinions and uh, since we will be dealing with the field of academia mostly i thought it would be best to start this podcast with uh, a critique of academia uh, not just in the i got bad marks therefore i want to rant about academia way but uh, to look at the relation between academia and competency uh, i asked many of my friends or classmates about this uh, whether academia includes competency and uh, they all disagreed and uh, i agree on that disagreement because to a large extent it is very rigid and uh, there is very less room for flexibility and explorative learning which is essential uh, to deal with real world issues and uh, when we are in this field of academia we lose that sense or purpose of why we started anyway if you started just to make money then i feel bad for you but the reason we engage in the sciences uh, the social sciences actually since that's what this podcast is about is so that we can look at real world issues and when we don't engage in the very thing we started out with that's just sad and it does not work because then we are either doing it to satisfy our ego or for awards or just to disprove someone and that's kind of petty so how do we connect academia with competency and not like in a forced way with duct tape or something but rather people in academia can be competent and people who have been successful in this land of academia are not always necessary so we need to separate those two categories uh that sounds very uh, unbelievable so let me give you an example i was reading this book called the intelligence trap by david robson and he gives this example of arthur conan doyle the writer of sherlock freaking holmes everyone knows sherlock holmes the genius detective the master of deduction which by the way is not true sherlock in uh, engages in induction not introduction that's a video that's a podcast episode for another time maybe but we all love or at least know sherlock holmes and we admire him because that guy is a genius but the guy who wrote about sherlock holmes arthur conan doyle he was a pretty smart guy but despite all of that he still believed in fairies and he was scammed by teenagers because he refused to believe uh, rather refused to be slightly skeptic enough and uh, that's a problem in academia we are losing our ability to be skeptic skepticism is quite an essential part of reality but the thing is as we become older as we become more familiar with the content we're dealing with it becomes harder for us to admit that what we've spent years studying about or what we've spent years researching about is wrong and uh, it is mostly quite an internal conflict that we have to deal with which scales on a collective level therefore uh, influences academia as a whole and therefore has now been capitalized and formed into a rigid structure but it is not impossible to escape this trap 
uh, intelligence trap as Dave, David Robson puts it. The thing is, we often associate intelligence with high IQs and uh, those amazing TV shows about amazing people or if I say genius, you might have an image of uh, Albert Einstein or Stephen Hawking. Uh, most people don't even know what Stephen Hawking is famous for. They just know that he's a guy in a wheelchair with a robot voice. And uh, I've got to agree that robot voice was pretty cool. But anyway, that is not what a genius is. That is not what an intelligent person is. An intelligent person is he or she who can engage with issues or uh, problems in a different way and find solutions to those. So a person with a below average IQ can be a genius too if he or she can solve our world's biggest problems. And uh, it may be slightly a controversial definition because uh, psychologically a person about I think the IQ of 130 or 135 is considered gifted or a genius. Uh, that's a technical term. And uh, as you go below the uh, on the scale, say below 80, you get different terms uh, like idiot, moron, etc., which is no longer used. We use the word mental retardation. Uh, so it is slightly contradictory to that. But a genius is that person who tries to look at the world in a different manner, who engages with reality, who observes reality. And you see this with even people who are not very much uh, academically inclined. Like they will succeed in academia, but they don't really care that much about academia. Like people like Wittgenstein, Nietzsche, uh, both of them were professors. Uh, I'm not sure about Wittgenstein, but he did teach uh, students. He, he taught elementary school, I believe. And these guys were brilliant people, but they did not care about academia that much. They were more concerned about the world and how we perceived it. Uh, Wittgenstein was concerned about the language we use, which was uh, determined to some extent on how we made our arguments in philosophy and uh, Nietzsche, oh my god, that guy's on another level. His Ubermensch, I feel, in my opinion, is one of the best ways to look at academia of how we have certain roles and we stick to those roles and they are like assigned meanings and although many people say that Nietzsche was uh, a nihilist but I don't believe that. I think he was quite an existentialist because the Ubermensch, although was quite uh, godless, he believed in a meaning that he could give to himself. Uh, for example, when he read the Speak Zarathustra, he uh, finds that uh, jester or a clown who he buries and sees as an Ubermensch too. And you see how that jester is not a part of the social role. And academia has now become a social role. Say students or other children are uh, forced to become students and go to school. And uh, they don't have a choice in it. Most of them don't. And uh, not being able to go to school is looked down upon. And uh, then you need to go to college if you need a good job. Because say in India, passing your 10th grade or your 12th grade isn't sufficient to get a good enough job. Uh, or to make a living. Or... Uh, as they put it in a cultural way to get a, a wife and family and all that stuff and uh, or rather even get a husband uh, but it's often male stereotype that's 
uh, there that you are supposed to be the man of the house how will you take care of your family or your wife and uh, you see this trap is very well designed and earlier I said it's capitalized this is how it's capitalized and that's exactly why you see more uh, importance given to say uh, private boards than uh, government boards private boards are uh, way more expensive and they are looked upon by state board people and uh, often the state boards are uh, uh, said to be not so good and it's critiqued for uh, depending heavily on uh, rote memory and uh, does not allow the student to engage in engage with the topic at hand does not encourage learning learning and uh, there's a distinction made between say the state boards and the uh, private boards but actually none of them actually support uh, what do you call it explorative learning and uh, it's an idea proposed by Ivan Ilyich I believe that pronounced uh, of how de-schooling needs to happen so that we can uh, engage in explorative learning and that's what I feel is what's lacking in academia so even if you are within academia you can still uh, become a genius because as I said uh, Wittgenstein and Nietzsche were both a part of the academic fields uh, Wittgenstein was a philosopher and uh, Nietzsche was a philologist and uh, yet these guys were able to write about things that dealt with the real world and you see these this recurring throughout history with uh, famous thinkers uh, for example right now in the real world you see it with <coughs> Slavoj Zizek and uh, it's a very good example of Zizek because in my sociology papers I was dealing with communism and I despise communism uh, because of the way it was portrayed and I'm no, I'm, I have no idea who is to blame for that I am not saying capitalism is necessarily blamed for it however it does seem like a worthy candidate but I wasn't a fan of communism till I started watching and reading Zizek and Zizek's lectures were pretty good because they did not buys things out for me when I uh, see Zizek's lectures uh, I often see this this urge to deal with real world issues which I do not find in my texts for uh, for my undergrads education right now and uh, when I see these thinkers like Zizek, Peterson and all those people they often deal with the real world in a much different way and that is exciting because even though they have a particular belief that they uh, hold to they will still try to look at it from a more realistic perspective for example uh, Zizek looks at communism but that communism he tries to put it in a more realistic way around the world he admits that communism has failed and it is difficult for communism to work but he still believes that communism will win and communism has a chance to uh, succeed and he tries to put it in a more logical way in a more realistic way and uh, since he's a sociologist and a Lacanian psychoanalyst he uses Lacanian psychoanalysis to look at Marxist uh, philosophy which is beautiful because often in education in academia you are supposed to segregate the two uh, segregate different subjects for example English history math science you're supposed to segregate these uh, in uh, my bachelor's course I have to segregate between psychology and sociology and anthropology as separate courses and that makes things very uh, confined in a particular set 
and when you come to the real world you realize that that's not how things are things are not in uh, sets for you to go there and solve the problems no you if you're looking at say a psychological problem you will have to take the cultural context and therefore i would have to look at it from a sociological and an anthropological anthropological point of view and that's where most people fail in academia because we go there thinking of it as being say merely psychological but it ends up being way more and it may not need not need uh, just be say sociological and anth- anthropological but it can even be biological and there are way too many factors that we don't often incorporate and you need not necessarily know every particular field of study there is just to deal with an issue but it should at least help you uh, develop a skill which is skepticism so that allows you to at least consider the different variables rather than just jumping on a particular conclusion and uh, depending on jargon to make your paper pub, uh, get published and uh, that seems like a very important uh, thing right now that everyone has on their agenda we need to get these many uh, papers published so that we can become say a professor or we can be recognized and uh, that's like uh, the highest on the hierarchy and that's really sad uh because as i just said sometime back that that shouldn't be the concern of academia so if you want to be someone who succeeds in academia then go ahead and uh get your papers published and uh, write books uh become a professor maybe do ground making research but if you are concerned with academia as a whole and the real world and the connection between the two might i recommend engaging with the topic in the context that it is and context that you wouldn't really consider that much uh you can see it in thinkers that have ex- uh, that have been there before us uh heidegger hanar and sartre camus you see all these philosophers they were dealing with the whole branch of existentialism but from different con- cultural contexts for example uh heidegger and arendt arendt were looking at it from a german perspective whereas uh, uh satra bouvois and camus were looking at it from a more uh french perspective uh, and french culture that they had with them and uh, you see these guys acknowledging that but they still uh tried to make it somewhat like a revolution to get people to notice how academia is getting us into this trap and we're not engaging in the real world and uh I took the example of existentialism because I am a huge fan of existentialism. We may have a podcast uh, episode in the future on existentialism. Uh but coming back to this, what is the critique of my opinion here of my argument against academia? Well, to put it in a more concise manner, uh it does not account for say the different classes that exist. For example, the state board that we have in India, uh does not just cater to the urban sections in mumbai but rather uh, other states too and less developed states which may not be uh, very high on the class hierarchy and it might be difficult for these uh, people to access education therefore it is essential to standardize education so that it is equal for everyone and uh, that seems a pretty fair counter argument to me because we need to talk about equal opportunities and that's exactly why the whole uh, uh, philosophy of feminism came into existence with uh, bouvoir and uh, all these other feminist philosophers leading the way uh, it seems 
essential to standardize education to a large extent otherwise it just leads to a superior inferior distinction apart from the distinction that we already have in our minds uh, in respect to class and uh, it would lead to a certain sense of elitism which already exists in academia but this would just propel it even further and uh, i think it's pretty good it was a pretty good idea to standardize education but we need to focus on how we can make it a sl make it slightly more competent to deal with real world issues while making it accessible to various uh, sects that exist various uh, cultures uh, it wouldn't be an easy task obviously uh, but that's a that's another problem in the real world that we have to uh, take on so uh, thank you for listening uh, see you on the next episode bye bye